Well, hello and welcome again to Sport Business Finance Weekly, podcast each week where we examine the biggest stories from across the global sports industry, particularly through the lens of finance and deal making. I am your co-host, Eric Fisher, Sport Business U.S. Editor, and I'm joined as always by our co-host, Chris Russo, Chief Executive of Fifth Generation Sports. How are you doing this week, Chris? I'm doing fine, Eric. How are you? Good, good. We're very excited to have later in the episode a special interview with Samir Ahuja. He is the Chief Operating Officer of U Sports Digital Platform Game Changer. Uh, but first, let's just sort of go through the uh, news of the week here. We are sort of deep in the heart of earnings season for a lot of the public companies in our space and not necessarily picking on any one particular company, but there there seems to be kind of a prevailing trend out there where the immediate numbers are, are pretty great. Grim, you know, MSG Sports, the parent company of the Knicks and Rangers, revenue down 90%, you know, $90 million profit turned into a $40 million loss. And other companies reporting the same sort of thing, where for all the obvious reasons with the COVID 19 pandemic, the current reality is really bad. But, you know, in, in any other industry, that would be cause for a lot of alarm and concern and stocks going down and so forth. But not in sports and entertainment. Stocks are still going up. And if you sort of read through a lot of these analyst calls and sort of get the vibe, the long term horizon and even the short and medium term horizon for a lot of these companies is still very strong that there there is a feeling that not only are they going to really sort of come around the corner in, in fairly short order, but you look at things like long term media revenues and the prospect of legalized betting and what that means to the revenue structure, the prospects look still really bright. Well, I think that's especially the case, Eric, for the major pro sports leagues and teams, in large part because what what you mentioned, the media rights, these media rights continue to be very valuable. Live games are a way to draw a large audience that isn't available really in many other ways. But I think the other thing that is happening is that while there are new distribution platforms and new technology companies acquiring rights, and obviously Amazon has been involved in that What we also see is some of the traditional media companies like NBC moving from the NBC Sports Channel to the Peacock Network or the Peacock Digital Streaming Network. And when companies are building new businesses, that's the time when sometimes uh, you can really secure some attractive uh, arrangements from the perspective of the sports teams and leagues. Yeah, and that really came out. Comcast was another one. The NBC parent, uh, they were right at the front of the line in terms of the uh, reporting schedule for the quarterly earnings. And it was very much what you're talking about, that it was peacock, 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 and and more and more and more sports content going on there, which, of course, really differentiates them materially from a lot of their other entertainment competitors like Netflix and Hulu, that not only is it just about the streaming, but it's live sports on that streaming. Absolutely. Sports, and I think sports is really different in many ways from other forms of entertainment, not only because of the live factor, but also because of the other point you mentioned earlier, Eric, that sports betting is becoming a big phenomenon. And sports betting not only may drive direct revenue, but it also is going to drive engagement, in-game viewing, all kinds of other ancillary benefits. So I think the advantage sports has is not only is it live, but it also uh, incorporates this new area of, of tremendous growth, which is betting. Yeah. And that's that's a really great segue to another really one of the big themes of the week here is what's happening in the sponsorship space that we had a couple of news items in that regard that the um, 
IEG came out with the uh, annual report for the NFL sponsorship revenue, which was up 10% to $1.62 billion, largely on the backs of not only the new stadiums in LA and Vegas, but sports betting. About two dozen new deals across the teams because that category was opened up to them. And then you also had in racing, uh, Richard Childress, they did a deal with BetMGM, which is the first team level deal in NASCAR that sort of adds on to a handful of property level deals that NASCAR has already done. So even though we don't have fans in attendance or very much in attendance in a lot of these sports, uh, the betting companies are, are really bowling up to do these deals. Yeah, the betting companies have been, you know, very good spenders of sponsorship dollars for many teams. Obviously, a focus on the states that uh, betting is legal, but but overall, this is a new category and found money, and I think that's been very helpful for the teams and even at the league level. And I, I think it's only a category that's going to continue to grow over the next several years. So we we talked a little bit about this last week as well, and particularly in the context of daily fantasy. And a lot of this is sort of to build brand and and sort of do get user acquisition and sort of really build that up that customer base. But h- how do you get the sense that these companies are sort of measuring ROI, particularly in a, a short and medium term range, particularly when it's still so nascent. We don't have a critical mass of states yet online with betting, and we don't have fans in attendance to really sort of have that full sort of game day experience like you have in Europe. How, how do you sort of get the sense that these deals are being evaluated right now? I, I believe some of the deals are being evaluated by, you know, what does it cost to sign up a new customer? But I would say many of the sponsorship deals are a, a little bit cloudier in the sense that I think they're being driven by the brand association, the exposure, the ability within a particular state to get out of the gate strong. So I think we're still in the early days of spending. I don't think it's a science. I think it's much more of an art. But I do think that there is a view that you know a few years ago, FanDuel and DraftKings spent a lot of money on marketing and sponsorship, and that really did help them as we come into the sports betting era. And so there are others that are following suit. Yeah. Now, what you're referencing, though, that was back when they were really solely in a VC-backed kind of structure. Now, this whole business, not just them, but the other big players, your Caesars and so forth, this is mostly a publicly structured landscape. Now, how does that sort of change the whole landscape for what's happening with the sponsorships? Well, well, look, I think everybody at the end of the day in, in the business needs to be, you know, or, or, or strives to be rational in, in what they're spending and, and how they're approaching the marketing budgets. But, but there are different strategies. Some companies may focus on certain markets and want to heavy up in certain areas, some companies may want to go and, and and try to be more efficient early on and save their money for later. I think it's really more of a company-specific strategy issue than it is one uh, kind of same theme across all of these operators. So looking ahead uh, in this particular space, as we get further into 2021, what's sort of the big thing out there? I, I, obviously, some sort of league level alignment with the NFL seems to be the sort of the big white whale out there. But where else do you see sort of big pieces of, uh, you know, beachfront real estate to be had? I, from the from the betting specific standpoint, uh, I, I do think there are more sort of big deals to be done, whether it's at the league level, the team level, the media company level. But what I'm also interested in seeing is once we get through the pandemic, how do some of the innovations that occur during the pandemic, meaning a lot of the virtual signage and insertions in the broadcast, some of the leagues like the NHL have done things like 
naming their divisions after sponsors or, you know, putting a sponsorship on helmets. What what of those elements survive into the post-pandemic world and how do categories like betting take advantage of them? Because I think there are some innovations that have happened that are going to be helpful and, and not only help betting, but, but, but a number of different categories. Yeah, and I think probably the other big piece of this as we look ahead to post-pandemic is this in-venue experience. You've had a number of teams really start to lay the groundwork uh, to open up sports books in their venues. We've had a several in D.C. already, others around the country. This was specifically referenced going back to our first topic with the earnings report. MSG Sports specifically talked about this. And particularly if you get a big state like New York come online, we're going to see this at other venues in the state as well, that I think fully integrating that into the game day experience once we can get back to a full attendance situation, I think that's going to be really impactful. I, I, I agree with you, Eric, and I think more generally, the pandemic has forced teams to think about the game day experience in terms of touchless contact, in terms of all other kinds of ways that they manage the flow of people, the way they communicate with their fans when they're not in the stadium digitally. I do think there will be innovations in the stadium experience across the board that will come out of the pandemic. So there will be some positive things coming out of something that is you know, terrible on so many levels. Right, right. So shifting gears one more time here before we get to our featured interview here, just want to talk a little bit about the youth space, uh, youth sports space writ large here that big numbers, this uh, estimated to be a $19 billion industry, but very localized and very fractionalized. And it's been very hard for a lot of entities to build scale in this space. And I guess maybe just from the deal making that you've done in, in your various roles, what are some of the macro level trends that you've seen in this space? Well, a few years ago, Eric, there were a number of pretty aggressive roll-up plays happening in the space. Uh, you may remember originally Blue Star Sports, then became Stack Sports, uh, acquired a number of companies. Uh, Sports Engine, owned by NBC, acquired some companies. In fact, I sold a company, SI Play, to Sports Engine. There were other M&A plays happening. That appears to have cooled down over the last sort of 12 to 24 months. But there's still a robust business because there, there just are so many youth participants and parents are spending more and more money. So it's a, it's a place where uh, sports entrepreneurs and technology companies are really looking for opportunity. So how much of that is is been sort of fully halted here by the pandemic and how quickly can that flip around? The pandemic certainly has had a big impact on youth sports because it really is a a business and an activity driven by participation. So in general, I, I, th- I think the sector of youth sports has been hurt more than some other sectors in sports, but certainly it is a sector that is going to come back strong. Kids love playing sports. Uh, there's going to be future opportunities. But in the interim, it's it's not been a, an easy year. And I would say if there's any, you know, again, uh, thing that came out of the last year that that could ultimately be helpful to the industry is that the notion of video streaming and capturing games where people don't have to be there in person, you know, that may have advanced in a way that that could long term be beneficial. Yeah. And it's interesting when you talk to a lot of the executives in the space here that, you know, the, the a lot of these executives are, you know, seasoned 
business types who, you know, really know their nuts and bolts and you can have a conversation about total addressable market and these kinds of things with them. But a lot of it kind of just starts from very personal anecdotes that they want a better experience for their kid or they want to be able to show a game to grandma or something of that sort that there is a very sort of anecdotal personal level that sort of builds on top of those core fundamentals. Absolutely. And and that's why uh, you've seen the growth in the space in terms of, you know, registration companies that process payments, apparel companies, recruiting companies that help kids get connected with colleges to potentially get scholarships, uh, yep. data companies, scorekeeping companies like Game Changer. So across the board, you know, parents and their children feel very passionate about youth sports and they're willing to spend money to do that. Now, the problem is as you know, is that not everybody has the same access to free money to spend or access to uh, good coaching. And so there are challenges in the youth sports space because uh, there isn't necessarily an equal playing field. And the sort of arms race in terms of spending money to to have your kid perform better is, is a difficult one for some parents to play. Yep, no doubt. Well, we're going to get a lot more into those issues on the other side of the break with Samira Ahuja. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. We're pleased to have on Sport Business Finance Weekly is our guest Samir Ahuja, Chief Operating Officer of Game Changer. This New York-based technology company, which is owned by prominent big box retailer Dick Sporting Goods, serves several key segments of the large and sprawling youth sports industry, which is estimated at more than $19 billion in size just in the United States. Game Changers' digital products include scorekeeping and statistics, live game updates, and team management and messaging functions that are vital to successfully running any youth team. Ahuja, with Game Changer since 2017, is a veteran of the finance and technology worlds, having previously worked in hedge funds, digital marketplaces, and investment banking. Samir, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, first off here, let's just talk a little bit about Game Changer writ large. How you, how do you guys sort of fit into the overall youth sports ecosystem, and how, how do you sort of fit into that broader retail strategy for Dick's? Sure, absolutely. Well, I like to say that uh, Game Changer provides you coverage with the most important game of the week, which isn't the one that uh, LeBron or Tom Brady's in. It's the one that your kid or grandkid is playing. Uh, we Our mobile apps allow coaches to keep score of the games uh, on the fields, and uh, we take that data stream and provide uh, that as a, as a visual viewing experience to, to fans, to grandma, to, to your uncle who's in another state. Uh, and we've been able to do that at a pretty amazing scale. We uh, cover 4 million youth sports game, many of them in youth baseball and softball uh, every single year. And, uh, and uh, starting at the end of last year into this year, we're, we've taken that experience and added video streaming to it. And we're really excited to bring uh, youth sports games you know, onto your phone, onto your TV, for in every sport, you know, in every in every home and every community that uh, that plays them, we've really proud of the fact that we're for now four years been you know part of the Dick Sporting Goods family. The the as you said, you know, they're they're the kind of leading uh, sports retailer in, in the country. You know, it's been a great partnership. We have built this wonderful community of enthusiasts, families, and athletes uh, in youth sports. And Dix has a has made a huge commitment to youth sports in in their business, in their community efforts, uh, and their foundation as well. And it's a really 
you know, wonderful partnership and, and, you know, we couldn't be, couldn't be happier to be part of, uh, you know, the, the, the Dick Sporting Goods family. Samir, Chris Russo here. Uh, can you share anything in terms of numbers, revenues, kind of growth trajectory? How is the business doing? In the history of Game Changer, we have uh, scored, or coaches have scored on our platform over 20 million uh, games. Uh, in, a, in an individual month in the spring, when, when the season's really going, we have more games you know, scored than in the history of you know, Major League Baseball. They've, they've scored about a quarter million games and played a quarter million games in the history of Major League Baseball, and we, we cover that many you know, every month. So it's a, it's, it's a, a product that's used by several hundred thousand teams, uh, and at this point, in, you know, in every state in the country. The obvious question here, uh, you know, I've been writing a lot over the past year about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on youth sports. And it seems like it's a particularly harsh and outsized impact that's been levied upon that space. How has that been seen from your corner of the world? Well, first off, before telling you a little about that, I just want to express, you know, our uh, how, you know, our sympathy for all of these communities. People have lost loved ones. People have lost jobs. Kids haven't been able to you know, to get a proper education. I'm, I'm really proud of our role in helping these communities to the extent uh, being in youth sports and letting, and having the kids at play feels normal and what, what life should be like. We've been part of that. A lot of these games that got restarted, especially in the summer, you couldn't go to them. You know, even, even if you were local, you know, with all these social distancing rules, maybe one coach could attend, the kids were all separated. And, you know, using our product, families were able to stay connected to those games. Certainly, you know, people who weren't, you know, weren't close by could, could stay connected, you know, for better or for worse. Some of these uh, restrictions are going to continue for a while. You know, we want to be there to allow you to see your kid, you know, play. And now, again, not just in a game stream, but in, you know, actually seeing the video and feeling connected. So when you come home from work, you, you're able to talk to your kid about, uh, you know, what they did. Your grandparent can, can call their grand, grandson or granddaughter and say, you know, have something to connect on, you know, how they did in the last game. So we're really proud of how we've how we've uh, been able to help these communities during this time. Can you talk a little bit, Samir, back to the the business model? Obviously, there are some direct revenues through sub- subscription, but also part of the uh, opportunity here is also to drive awareness of Dick's sales of sporting goods. That kind of crossover. How do you, how do you evaluate it? Is it really just about the direct revenue in the app? Or is it more about what it's really driving for Dick's overall retail and commerce? And, and how do you look at it that way? Well, we, you know, from, for the most part, we focus on our, our, what's right in front of us with, with subscriptions. And, you know, as, as you said, you know, fans can subscribe through our apps. Uh, it's a pretty, you know, a standard model at this point. But the, the community that we built, again, they're enthusiasts and they are looking to be, equipped with, you know, the best equipment, the best gear, the best clothing, uh, shoes, etc. And, you know, there's no better place for them to be able to do that than Dick's and the investments that they've made and the efforts that, that Dick's has made to, you know, to have just just some amazing products and really, uh, you know, serve their customers, serve these athletes, serve these families has been pretty remarkable. So we've We've had uh, so much positive energy come our way from from our, our existing sort of game changer customers about you know the connection with Dicks. So, how do you view the competitive landscape? Uh, other folks looking to get into the space. We've obviously seen in recent years a number of the major media companies wanting a piece of this youth sports space. 
It's a, a great point. I again, I talked a little about the scale earlier relative to pros, and obviously there's you know gigantic amount of money in pro sports, college sports. The scale in terms of number of games played is is just gigantic. There might be 20 million or more games played across team youth sports every year in the U.S. And so we're already seeing a significant amount of new entry into the space. We kind of created this game coverage model for youth sports. Uh, a lot of that new entry, uh, some of it's startups, some of it's big media companies, as you said, it's all video centric and it's focused on delivering and building out that infrastructure. Uh, we really like what we do, which is deliver all of this over your mobile phone. You know, everyone has one every year or two or every several years. Uh, you know, you might upgrade to the to the new phone. That model works for us because we don't have to worry about installing equipment and uh, everything you need to stream and score is right on your phone. You know, press, you know, one click and you're streaming. You know, one other thing, and we've talked about partnership with, with Dick Sporting is, which is great, is we're offering um, a mounting kit as well. So you can mount your phone to, you know, the, the backstop or, you know, cage and use it for streaming. And then that's because of our partnership with Dick's that we're able to do that. It's just about making it as easy as possible. There are some interesting companies out there building infrastructure at these fields. Uh, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of fields, arenas, courts, you know, at schools and, and in communities. There's some interesting challenges in how to make the economics work. Uh, as I said, we love our, our model of just being completely mobile. Speaking of the broader youth sports landscape, I believe that Dix, a couple of years ago, 2019, sold Blue Sombrero and Affinity, but obviously retained uh, Game Changer, which, which is a big focus of what you're doing in the space. And what was the rationale for that? And how do you look at the kind of things that Dix wants to do in-house versus partner with others in the youth sports space? Yeah, again, I, I speaking to to Game Changer. You know, we're we are a consumer business. We we work uh, directly with and provide you know some great products for families and the, and the athletes in those families and coaches. Those are Dix's customers, right? And they you know they just you know we love the ability to connect to to these people uh, through Game Changer. You know, anything that can sort of elevate the the you know the youth sports experience it, it it's clear that Dix is really passionate about about that we're here at Game Changer I mean that's that's what we're passionate about so I I, I would I, I I continue to be really confident that they're we're going to be able to do a lot of great things for you know for the for youth sports families. So despite the scale that you've been talking about and the tonnage of games that you obviously do, the youth sports space is traditionally, the business of it has traditionally been very fractionalized, very local. Uh, as 2021 continues to evolve here, do you anticipate, uh, uh, is there a chance for some further consolidation or roll-up opportunities in this space? Or what kind of deal-making flow might there be in the space this year? I, I would assume that there's going to be a lot of activity around video streaming. I think some of the some of the folks that are looking to you know deploy significant infrastructure are going to have to rationalize their their business models. So I, I would expect that. I think it's there's a lot of cost to roll something out when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of locations and millions of customers. And you know I've always found it challenging to. Kind of figure out those economics. So, so I think I think driven by the fact that you're you're not talking about a hundred customer universe. You're talking about a multi-million customer universe in terms of all of these youth sports families. I would think that some of the the pressures to 
to be able to go to market to such a large number of people or is 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 going to motivate motivate this and and again it's all it's all about who can deliver uh you know video of the game experience to um to to these families Samir, as you've pointed out, there are a lot of different companies trying to figure out that business model for video. You have an approach. There are others that are installing cameras in gyms and fields. But for the consumer, when do you think we're going to get to the point where almost every youth sports game is going to be available via video? Is that a year away? Is that five years away? What's your sense from a consumer experience standpoint when that's going to become a reality? You know, I I, I wouldn't. Everything seems to have accelerated. Obviously somewhat due to the pandemic, I, I I would expect you to see all of this pick up pace. And in the next year or two, I would expect you to be able to, uh, to, to see a lot of your, of your games. Uh, if, you know, if you asked me last year, I probably would have said five years and I'm, I'd easily cut that in half at this point, the need for this, uh, the value proposition of it. Uh, and again, even if it's not pandemic driven, just the ability to be connected in a busy world is is just driving this so much faster. You know, just the pace uh, has has increased dramatically in the last six to nine months. Well, we really want to thank Samir Huja, uh, CEO of Game Changer, for being part of Sport Business Finance Weekly. Really appreciate the time and the insight, and we're all looking forward to that time when we can be back at the field and back in the gym again. Uh, Chris and Eric, I want to thank both of you. I really enjoyed the time, and I love what you do. Look forward to uh, hearing future episodes. Great. Thank you. Well, we want to thank Samir Ahuja for spending some time with us here and looking ahead to next week. I just want to get a sense of what uh, we're each uh, looking ahead to in the coming week. As this is coming out, it's the morning after the Super Bowl. We are taping this before the Super Bowl. The thing I'm really looking at is what these TV ratings are going to be. We've got we had a great matchup between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and speaking to CBS Sports folks before the game, they were feeling very good about what the rating is going to be given this high profile matchup and sort of football's version of LeBron versus Jordan, but the out of home viewership is really going to be different and we're going to see this upcoming week what those numbers are going to shake out like because the CDC is advising that we shouldn't have had parties for the Super Bowl here. And obviously, bars and restaurants are operating at little to no indoor dining. So what these numbers look like in, in the coming days here, it's really going to bear watching. And regardless of what it's going to be, it'll be the uh, largest television audience in all of American television for all of 2021. But that'll really sort of tie a bow on, on the Super Bowl and the now completed National Football League season. Eric, the Super Bowl numbers I'm looking at will be the um, betting numbers in terms of the total handle and the dynamics of the betting market as now more states are legal. <clears throat> I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happened during Super Bowl, again, in terms of all of those numbers and dynamics and statistics, particularly in, in the individual states where betting is legal. The other thing I am looking forward to is the beginning of the March Madness season. We're now kind of heading toward conference championship time, but very soon thereafter, we'll be in the middle of March Madness. That was the first big major event that was canceled last year due to the pandemic. And as always, I like viewing it from both the media lens, but also March Madness happens to be a big uh, betting opportunity, and we'll see how that all transpires over the next several weeks. 
Yeah, it really is an interesting circular thing here that we're coming around to this again and really has been a just about a full year now since the pandemic hit. And you are correct that that was the first major event to to go down to this public health crisis. And it's just really wild that we've come around again. But just, uh, you know, taking off my industry hat and putting my fan hat on. I'm also looking forward to the tournament because my St. Bonaventure Bonnies are as we're taping this first place in the Atlantic 10 and are looking really good for the tournament, even more than a normal year, looking forward to March Madness. Yeah, it's a, it's a great event for everyone. Now, we'll be interesting again to see whether people can celebrate it together or we're all doing it virtually, but certainly a great event to watch on TV. So as we close this out, just a couple of quick uh, disclaimers here. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. And one additional disclaimer, Chris Russo had a prior relationship with Game Changer in an advisory capacity, but it was prior to Dick Sporting Goods' involvement with the company and also prior to Samir Ahuja joining the company. But that'll close things out this week for the Sport Business Finance Weekly Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Music